0: Hello and welcome to Voices from the Village, a podcast from the Wyoming Early Childhood Professional Learning Collaborative. We know it takes a village to raise a child, and Wyoming Early Childhood Educators, as an essential part of that village, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Nikki Baldwin, and today I'm so excited to introduce two early childhood educators that I've come to know and admire as they have completed coursework in early childhood special education at the University of Wyoming. I've had the privilege of teaching Pepper Stevens and Brittany Geringer in multiple classes and have been continually impressed by their wisdom and knowledge. And by the way they carry themselves as professionals and advocates for children and families. So welcome Pepper and Brittany. Thank you.
1: Thank you and um, what a great compliment that we impress you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for being here ladies. And I can't
0: wait to talk about some important things tonight with you. What I'd like for you to do first, though, is take a minute and introduce yourself to our audience. So tell us a little bit about you. We're really interested in your professional journey. What has led you to this point in your
2: career? I'm Brittany Geringer. I currently teach at Holy Name Catholic School in Sheridan. My family, my dad went to school at UW to be a teacher. So he was teaching and subbing all all of my growing up. And then um, my mom was a childcare provider for a very long time. She had her in-home daycare and then she moved into DFS as a licenser when, after I got a little older. So just being around young children and being a teacher is just kind of in my blood. And um, I went to college knowing I wanted to teach, but my advisor, instead of putting me in a teaching class, put me in just public speaking as that was what would get me into teaching, and I hate public speaking, (laughs) so I deterred for a while and did a bunch of science, and just wasn't really something I could get into, and found myself back in elementary education, and I had kind of bounced around from different jobs and centers for a while, and just kind of trying to find my place and knowing that I really wanted to teach young children, but not finding the right fit. And when I first moved up here, I worked at Holy Name with, I like to call her my mentor because I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for her, Lori Clark. Uh And she called one day out of the blue and I kind of was in a rough spot and I didn't like where I was working and I didn't like the administration. And she's like, Hey, I have a teaching spot for you come work with me again. I was like, all right, I'm on it. And so I've been there ever since. And I just feel like, cause I'm with her, she was such my inspiration and in wanting to work with young children because mm-hmm. she was just so amazing at it. And it was just so fun. So being back in that place with her and being able to collaborate with her more as a teacher, instead of just an assistant now mm-hmm. was such a big thing for me. So I've got to do a lot of growing in there i've been it's weird to think that i've been doing this for 11 years because i feel like i didn't start actually i don't want to say not be i wasn't a good teacher but like really diving into it and doing what i meant to do until just recently Mm -hmm. and i think that has to do a lot with my growth and learning and different experiences and different children and parents that come into my classroom because every year's different but I grow each year and I finally feel like I'm at a place where I'm comfortable with what I'm doing and I owe a lot of that to Lori and just just my experiences I don't know how else to really put it I feel like I'm mumbling or no, great. I, mean,
0: I think it's really it's really amazing when you arrive at a space where you're more confident and you feel like you have a real sense of who you are as a teacher in a classroom.
1: Yeah. So congratulations
0: sure. On being in that space, I think that's great. How about you, Pepper?
1: So I'm Pepper Stevens. I work at the Child Development Center Region Two in Sheridan. This is my third year in the classroom. Um, kind of like Brittany, I started. My mom ran a daycare in Laramie when she was in college there, and then she went on to elementary ed and um, you know, mastery and all kinds of things, education. My younger sister is a school psychologist working zero to 17 in Michigan now, working with hospitals and alternative schools and all kinds of things. And I was never going to be a teacher. I think in high school, I worked at the daycare my mom worked at and it was okay. There's a lot of kids, a lot of parents. I wasn't really Great at it. I was great at playing with the students that were there, but I didn't I, I didn't want to do that. Um, in college, I got a job as a ski instructor so I could have a free season pass. <laughs> and I was really good at that. And I was given the opportunity to work with the students with special needs. So I worked with a lot of children who had autism. I taught the blind to ski and it was just phenomenal. I really loved that. But it was, that was more about skiing to me than teaching. So while in college, I pursued a degree in chemistry and I did that for a really long time and it was super boring. It was the same thing every day, just mixing things and clear liquid and not a path that I really found exciting. And then shortly after that, my grandmother was in her late 90s lived on a ranch in Wyoming and my husband and I moved out there to help in her final years and we had children and then after she passed I didn't go back to work until my youngest was school-aged and had been diagnosed with a disability and from there I just saw what great work these people were doing and I knew that I had experience working with children and children with disabilities although I didn't really view them as disabilities then because it was more about teaching the activity and I try and carry that into my classroom now that it's not this child needs something different. It's just how can I do better for that child and I just love it. I love getting to spend the days with these kids and watching how they grow and being a part of that. So once my son was in preschool, I went to work at the preschool he was at, and I loved it and have gone back to teaching this thing I was never going to do. <laughs> and it's been it's been such a great journey.
0: Thank you for sharing that, Pepper, and for both of you. And um, that is one reason why you're here tonight is because our conversations in the podcast, the last two episodes, have been about how we support children who may have experienced trauma. And then also sort of a larger conversation about how we support children who learn differently or who might express behaviors that could be considered challenging in a classroom sometimes, how we respond to that. And I will say that at the Professional Learning Collaborative, our facilitators are out in the state working in early childhood programs all around the state and with early childhood educators. And one of the first questions that they encounter in most spaces is from teachers wanting to know how to support a child who maybe isn't as successful in that classroom environment as others. This has been something people have been asking for for a long time and we're not here to talk about a million behavior techniques to help a kid behave. We're actually here to talk about how we can look at and see those children and understand their needs and try to meet those needs. You know that's why I wanted to start with I think in our conversation today is just if you think back on your career about an experience maybe with a child who would have been considered a difficult child or a challenging child in a classroom, have you had an experience that you could sort of share a little bit about with working with that child and what it is that that child taught you that has made you a better teacher? Does any particular experience come to mind? Or it could be you know a series of experiences, but I'm really curious.
1: I have had a student that has been back and forth in foster care and has a very challenging relationship with their biological parent. Just seeing when this child is acting defiant and throwing tantrums, realizing that it's not so much about, you know, he doesn't want to do this activity or doesn't like it. It's, I'm looking for someone to tell me I'm okay please pay attention to me. I need something from you right now. And before it was, you know, you need to sit still, we're at circle, stop. And now realizing that there is more to his behavior than just not wanting to participate. It's really eye-opening that We need to reflect on all of the children, but especially those that we know are in situations where there isn't continuity or routine. Mm -hmm.
0: I love that, Pepper. I love the idea that instead of placing sort of the blame on the child, you've shifted your thinking to thinking about what you can do, where the burden is for you to make some change and do something different to try to support that child and understand their needs. How about you, Brittany? Any examples come to mind?
2: I think this class that we're doing, we're taking right now has been very eye-opening to me. I haven't had a lot of, I wanna say good solid training in trauma, dealing with trauma response for children. So throughout this semester, I've been doing a lot of backtracking and thinking about children I've had in the past that I didn't know what to do with at the time. And I wish now I had this training So, or this knowledge that I could do better. I think of one child that just very aggressive and severe outbursts, and it was so scary, and just not knowing what to do when how to help that child in the moment while keeping everyone else safe. And I remember it got to a point where we had to let the child go. Like it just it was not working. And coming into the classroom the next day, and the sense of calm that was in my classroom, I didn't realize how fearful the rest of my students were because of that child until that child left. So I was battling with not realizing that, how that it was affecting my students, the other students, and then battling with what should I have done better? I mean, did I do the right thing? Should I have sent this child away? I just didn't know. So looking back now, and I keep thinking about when we had the guest speaker talk about, the question isn't what's wrong with this child. The question needs to be what happened to you? And I just wish now looking back, I would have talked to this child more or even sat down and talked to the parents more and just tried to figure out what was going on, like what happened, what can I do that can help you? And then just make it a better environment for not just that child, but my classroom as a whole, because that was a really hard point in my teaching career. And I, my mentor pretty much said, you know, you can only do so much and you have to protect yourself and you have to protect your the rest of the children too. So that's pretty much where we drew the line it just got to be too violent but you know I wish I could have done more I wish I would have had the training so I think about things like that and now I'm glad that I know it so if that child comes into my classroom again or a child like that now I have better training to know what to do when that happens
0: that's a really powerful experience thanks for sharing that Yeah, I'm sure you carry a lot with you from that experience with the child and the other children in your classroom and I I'm glad I feel a sense of hope from you as you're reflecting back on it now mm-hmm. that um, we have tools now that maybe we didn't have before to understand that child and how to support that child to be successful and all of the other children in that space. And it really is about thinking about behaviors differently and mm-hmm. understanding children better. And let's talk about that a little bit more when you think about what you've been learning about trauma-informed practices in particular, so listeners, the previous two podcasts have been talking about trauma-informed practices. We did an amazing interview with Julie Kurtz, who's an expert. And then we did a follow-up interview in, in my class with other students about this. So this is part three of this series. So Brittany and Pepper, when you think back about all the things we've we've talked about, what are your what's your big takeaway from, from trauma-informed practices, from the things you've learned about trauma-informed practices?
1: Well, I would say understanding where a child is coming from is really important. It's not necessarily the behavior needs corrected, but how to kind of preemptively redirect that energy, that behavior, and that what we're doing for a student with, you know, who is typically developed having a behavior or a student who has disabilities, it can all be the same thing. It doesn't have to be a different type of reaction from us. And that that was really powerful to me that they don't need something different from us. They still need us to be consistent and solid and caring mm-hmm. and kind and reliable. I agree
2: with what Pepper said. I think just making sure that it's something, these practices are something you just include all the time in general, because you're not ever gonna know unless someone tells you if this child has been through a trauma or not. And there's a lot of good things in there that you can use for children that just have some of those behaviors. Like I was reading just tonight, I was thinking about children in my own class now that they don't have trauma, but there's a lot of things that clicked like, oh, that explains why that child was acting like that. And I wouldn't have thought about that before. So yeah, I agree. I think just making sure to use all of those all the time is, it's going to be a benefit no matter what. Sure. And I
0: think that's one of the principles we just want everyone to understand is that something that helps a child with unique learning needs be successful is usually great for everyone. It becomes good teaching practice and we can adopt that then everyone succeeds. So let's talk about practice a little bit. So if you were, you were going to think about st- ideas that just work well, um, things that you can do in a space that you could share with your peers that are out there in the field right now who may have some children that have experienced trauma. They may have some children that are expressing some challenging behaviors, and it's not trauma related, but just like some go-tos for you that just seem to really help in most situations with the child who might be struggling. Do you have any that come to mind, Pepper?
1: First thing I do if they are emoting very largely as I validate, I see that you are having big feelings. It looks like maybe you're sad or you're angry. I try not to label what I think they're feeling. I let them tell me if they can't tell me, I try and, oh, it looks like you're sad or it looks like you're angry, but I let them and I, it's okay to feel that way. Mm -hmm. First, you know, to me, that's really important as I think a lot of children are Hold, don't cry you shouldn't be sad calm down
2: mm-hmm. and I think
1: it's really important that they get to feel those things so that's mm-hmm. the first thing is I I can see that you have big feelings yeah and how can I help you work through this maybe not those words exactly but try to let them know that I'm here for them to help to feel better to feel calm feel safe mm-hmm I would say, and that's first thing I do for those behaviors. And then, then I try and it looks like you're crying or you're really, I just try and validate those emotions. And if there are behaviors that are accompanying, let's try and think of another way, instead Mm -hmm. of throwing this toy, maybe we could come over and sit down and have a drink of water or what Mm -hmm. could we do instead? But I see those feelings. It's okay to have those feelings.
2: Thank you. Yeah, that's great. I think one thing that really popped out to me from the reading was they talked about talk about good and hard feelings versus good and bad feelings, because no feelings are bad. We all have feelings and it's okay. It's how we act on those feelings. So making sure when the children are engaging in play, like we talked about in class, that's the biggest time for teaching that social emotional development and really working with, this is how we interact with people in our space.
1: Well, and, and to kind of elaborate, I think a little too is differentiating the feelings from the behavior is really critical. You might be having this really bad feeling or not bad feeling, but big feeling. Mm-hmm. And the thing you did was not okay, but that was just a thing. That's not you. Uh You know, I I really think differentiating between the action and the feeling is so important. So children know that they are okay and we love them anyway, even though they did this thing.
2: I would say if someone, if someone asks like, what should I do? I, to me, the biggest thing is just, have you built a relationship with that child Mm -hmm. Does that child know that you care about them? Does that child know that they are loved? Does that child know that you're there to listen to them, that they can go to you if they are having those big feelings and they don't know what to do about it? Because if they don't feel like they have that relationship or bond with you, it's not going to work. So making sure that you have that with that child is going to be the most important thing for that child to teach them just how to self-regulate and how to interact with other people and just how to be in a classroom
0: yeah amen relationships are the key right and it's amazing without a, a solid relationship you can try a lot of things a million great ideas and they won't be successful for you or the child and if you have a relationship you don't have to be perfect and there's a lot of space for for you to figure things out together I think that's one of the keys that I learned in my career as well.
1: Yeah. As adults, if we don't trust each other, we're not going to learn from them and children need that trust and safety from us even more. Absolutely.
0: And they often don't have a way to ask for it. Right. So that's Mm -hmm. something that we, as the adults need to be able to pick up on. I would love for you guys to just talk a little bit about families and your experience supporting families who may have a child who's struggling do you have any advice for, for any early childhood educators out there that want to get it right with families, may not be sure exactly how to approach them? Have have you had some experiences that you've
2: learned from, or do you have some advice that you might share? Things that have worked well for you? I think that goes back to relationships, just making sure that you can build relationships with families, make sure that they know that you aren't their superior. I don't, I guess if I'm saying that right. The families think that they don't compare to you sometimes and that's not the truth like you're in this together you're in this as a team and you want them to feel like that that they can come to you with any questions that they may have a big one for me is you can't please everyone (laughs) that's something I've had to learn very that's been a hard lesson for me over the years so I can try to build a relationship as hard as much as I can with the family and some are going to be receptive and some of them aren't and that's just how that works so
1: that's that's very wise Brittany I think one of the things that I don't want to say was an aha moment because it should have been obvious was you know parents families they are the professional of that child they know this child better than anyone else will I have you know at most I will have your child in my class for about 14 hours a week Mm -hmm. I don't know this child like you do I need to learn from you and that's the best way I think to build that is you know what you know what's working for you what's not working for you let's try and figure this out together And if you have verbiage you use or fidgets or toys, we can copy that. So it's easier for you at home as the person that is with this child most. I think they have the most knowledge about their child and we need to accept that.
2: Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. Making sure to stay positive too with parents is a big one. I had parents come in for their first IEP this year, first ever IEP, and it was very overwhelming for them. And one of the gals from the development center said, tell me a strength of your child. And the mom just broke down and started crying. And she's like, I don't, I don't know. I can't think of any. And I knew she knew some, but I think she was very overwhelmed by everything that was a good chance for me to step in and just list like these are awesome things he does in the classroom and I'm so proud of him for doing this and I think these parents especially parents that have children with special needs or you know are dealing with trauma they hear negatives all the time so we need to make sure to constantly give them positives because and that's going to help build a better relationship too because they're not going to want to come and talk to you if they're always afraid or you're going to tell them is something negative about their child.
0: All right, well, a couple of other questions for both of you. I'm just curious, uh, you're both in sort of different phases in your career. When you think about your profession, early childhood education and early childhood education in Wyoming in particular, what are some of your biggest worries right now about our field?
1: Our budget cut. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: we our development center lost one hundred and fifty thousand just for Part C, which is horrifying. Through all this learning, that those first three years are almost more critical than anything that comes later. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's so scary that we won't. I mean, we will still have the ability, but it's going to be a lot harder to service those children at the most critical stage in their development.
2: Yeah. That's I mean,
0: yep.
1: I, I just don't want to see our state, you know, I know we've been, we're rural and, you know, kind of previously, you know, kind of behind the times. I think that there, we have so much opportunity because we aren't a huge state mm-hmm. to really help develop these children that, I hope this loss of funding doesn't impact that negatively. That's real. Thanks for sharing that Pepper. What's been on your mind, Brittany? Everything. (laughs) Um,
2: I just think a big one for me is I don't, a lot of times I don't feel like we're treated as equals when it comes to education. Mm -hmm. Um, We're the babysitters and that's it. They don't realize how important our role is, how vital our role is. Yeah. And, it's frustrating like going off of what Pepper said, early childhood is always the first thing to get cut. You know, We struggle with communication with school districts and like, how can we make this transition easy for these children, but we don't get feedback. And mm-hmm. I, I just, and even teachers, like there's such big turnover in early childhood, which is so hard on not just um, facilities, but children as well. Mm -hmm. So not having the funds to pay teachers, early childhood teachers, what they should be paid and just little things like that. Like, you know, I went to school like you guys did. I did the work. I'm here just as long as you guys are. And I deserve to be treated equally. And it just, it's so frustrating that people don't see that.
0: Yep. Boy, you both spoke to really important things I think are on everybody's minds, honestly. Well, then my follow-up is this. Why are you still here? What brings
2: you hope? The world being the mess it seems like right now, like our, just, our social climate and everything going on is just, it's chaotic. And what I love about my job is I can go in every day and after being bombarded with all these terrible things that are happening on the news, I'm greeted by just the kindest and sweetest little angels mm-hmm. <laughs> that don't that doesn't affect them and they're just so caring and loving and they want to please and they want to be kind and just the world is new and it's full of possibilities to them and they haven't yet been exposed to all of these different thoughts and ideas and ways just this is how you should think that's just open and I just love their acceptance and just their just their curiosity for the world so it's just refreshing and that's why I love doing what I do because they're not they haven't been ruined yet <laughs> <laughs> yeah I I love being that person that can guide them in the in the direction that is gonna continue that growth
1: that's
0: beautifully said
1: thinking back a little to your last question too what what frightens me and then I can go into hope because they're kind of intermixed is I think we also have a lot of pressure on us now to produce academic preschoolers instead of socially emotional ready children for preparedness of that academic venture down the road but I think we're really lucky in all the programs we have available in our state and nationally and internationally due to technology that we can still integrate those academic desires through play, through all kinds of other ways as teachers. And that gives me hope is that even though there's a lot on our shoulders to produce children at three who can read and problem solve, you know, the quadratic formula and those things, (laughs) Uh we can do it with play and we can, you know, learn to write our names in pudding and, you know, clothespins are fantastic toys. And I just, it gives me hope that we are so good at what we do that we can meet those goals that maybe developmentally or realistically aren't appropriate or realistic
0: yeah I love that that's really empowering right you have so much to offer the rest of the world about with your expertise about what children need and it really does work it makes a difference before we wrap this up both of you this is a podcast about professional learning and I know you're both students so you have a lot um, that's probably my fault that's on your mind related to classwork at the university but I would love for you to share with our listeners something new that you've learned recently that really matters to you.
1: So this was, this was a different podcast I overheard my husband listening to. And I think it just, it's such a great concept of the difference between trying and training. Mm. You know, we can try to be better teachers or we can train ourselves to be better teachers. We can try to be better friends or we can train ourselves those things. And I'm really trying to put, I'm training myself to put that into practice uh-huh. that if I want to be better at something, I can't just try because trying, we can quit. But if we're training, we have this goal that we were working for every day, you know, and some days aren't going to be good training days. but other days are going to be great training days. And those, you know, if we looked at that, Bad training day is a trying day. We might just stop, and so I really like this idea of the difference between training and trying, and we can always train ourselves to do something better.
0: That's amazing. Thank you, because now I'm going to be thinking about that a lot. Pepper, it's wonderful.
2: How about you, Brittany? I think my big one right now is I'm doing the anti-bias training, um, the book study, but this date and. I think last year I went into a really deep dive of what white privilege is and what I can do to change that. And that was very hard and very eye opening to me. And so this book study has been a good segue into now what can I do as an educator to create these safe and accepting learning environments for any child that walks in my door and I it's just so important and I just hope that more people will look into stuff like that and just educate themselves on anti-bias training because it's so needed right now. It's always been needed, but the social climate right now, it's needed more than ever. So I think that's been a really big growth and learning experience for me and I'm really enjoying it. So I get new stuff every week from my book study group of things I want to try in my classroom. So I have a whole post-it note board. Thanks for the shout out just for listeners
0: too, every spring we do a statewide book study that connects you with early childhood educators from across the state, all different types of programs and focusing on how to be a leader in early childhood and so this year that book study has been about anti bias education and if you are interested if you weren't able to participate in that but you're interested in learning more you can absolutely reach out to your professional learning facilitator and they can connect you with some great resources, including the book that Brittany's been studying. So I'm really glad you brought that up. Well, ladies, thank you so much. This has been so eye-opening. I appreciate you sharing your wisdom, Pepper and Brittany. I'm so thankful for the amazing work you guys do with children and families that you have stayed and that you have so much hope. Just thank you for being here with me and for taking some time to talk to our listeners that are all across the state and thank you listeners for joining us on voices from the village this podcast is made possible with support from the federal preschool development grant and is produced by the university of wyoming early childhood outreach network we recorded this interview today on zoom voices from the village is directed and edited by bryce tugwell